0: hello and welcome to the Constitution podcast my name is Carly Miller the guy behind the Constitution project website Facebook page and Twitter profile and now uh, I have ventured into the podcast territory this is the first episode uh, actually so uh, hopefully this will be the first of many fruitful and Intellectual discussions regarding the Philippine Constitution and the matter of constitutional reform Uh, For this inaugural episode I have decided to reach out to a uh, actually a longtime friend of mine Uh, I've known him since the 2010s As a colleague in the Philippine quizzing circle Uh, Just so you know I am actually the uh, two million peso winner, the first non-celebrity two million peso winner uh, of the Philippine edition of Who Wants to be a Millionaire? So this guy actually won the college division of Battle of the Brains, a Philippine game show back in the 1990s. He is uh, currently based in Singapore and an ardent constitutional reform advocate Uh, in fact when you hear the words constitutional reform if uh, you are even if you're not uh, within the periphery of the constitutional reform circle his name is something you would encounter from time to time so I've reached out to him And we've talked about a lot of things, Uh, the parliamentary elections, the recent parliamentary elections in Singapore, uh, and how he became a constitutional reform advocate advocating in particular federalism, the removal of the economic restrictions in the constitution, and a parliamentary system that should be established in the Philippines, so we've talked about those, the present situation with the constitutional reform agenda, and the possible future. So without further ado, here is my interview with a renowned constitutional reform advocate, Orion peres in Singapore
1: okay naman. yes I'm doing okay here
0: um, I just heard uh, Singapore just had a parliamentary election how was the conduct of elections there from what you could observe
1: it was a very clean and orderly set of elections so essentially um, as usual there's several other parties involved as well so it's not only uh, it's not only the PAP it's not only the People's Action Party and you know and I think this is this regular set of elections that they have here in Singapore proves that Singapore is actually a real functioning democracy. For many years I recall how a lot of Filipinos were brainwashed, especially back in the 1990s. We, so many of us were brainwashed to, to think that Singapore was an authoritarian country. And I think that was very, very unfair. Um, it is not an authoritarian, it's not a dictatorship, that's for sure. Uh, in a way, when you say the word authoritarian to mean that they are authoritative about, like this is these are the laws, it must be enforced uh, strictly, yes they are strict and they are in a way very authoritative, but to say that it is akin to a military dictatorship you know, that kind of thing that's is totally wrong, so uh, the, the idea that many Filipinos had before, that you know, Singapore is a dictatorship. It's an authoritarian or a totalitarian country. It's totally wrong. It's just a country that has democracy. That its its main party has been so successful in delivering that um, they've not they've they've always ended up having a super majority. And that's really it. It's, but it doesn't mean that they have a blank check in the sense that there's no no opposition. There are opposition parties, and there have most of the time been opposition politicians in the parliament uh, who have won certain seats and uh, in this particular time this I think I'd say is the biggest win for the for the opposition in fact and again it's proof that um, it's really a democracy so there are they have this thing called GRC's uh, group representation constituencies which res- it's, a, it's a result of individual single member districts being consolidated into one electoral district so it's like it's like having five congressional districts joined together th- four or five congressional districts joined together so that it becomes one electoral district but then the same number of representatives is still there so that's that's what you have in you have the GRC so um, last uh, 2011 and 2015 the Workers Party which is an opposition party they have one they have had one grc which is the the al district or al Junid uh, 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 group representation constituency and this particular election the workers party won another one the senkang is a newly formed um co- uh, constituency uh, basically several of several people uh in from the workers party won so now the Workers' Party actually has uh, has a lot of members in, uh, in, in parliament. So yeah, they're, it's possible that they can actually form what is very similar to a, a shadow cabinet.
0: Mm. Well, uh, we'll get back to Singapore uh, in a bit. Um, but and I think for the benefit of those who, who are not yet familiar with you, and it's also my fault because I, I haven't actually, really yeah. introduced you to, our, no, no to the listeners. Yeah, so t- tell us a bit about yourself, uh, where you're from and what your your job and what you're doing in Singapore at the moment and all that issues.
1: Okay, so um, I'm actually, I'm half Cebuano and half Tagalog and I was born in uh, Metro Manila, born in Quezon City um, and uh, I lived in Metro Manila. Until I was in grade five, so basically I was in I was in Metro Manila from the time I was born to the time I was grade five, and then when I was in grade six, until high school, my family moved to Cebu. So my dad's from Cebu, my mom's from Metro Manila, and um, you know, and it's, I I was able to actually live in both Metro Manila and Cebu, Metro Cebu, and. Um, that experience was what opened my eyes to the diversity of the Philippines or the the fact that the Philippines is not a one size fits all type of uh, of context or a society that is you know where you can make one size fits all work and um, so I was already you know back when I was already, uh, when I was first living in Metro Manila as a kid we were already going to Cebu a lot for vacations and I mean I just noticed that the languages were so different and I mean you know it's not exactly the same culture and um, and all the more when I moved there it became very clear to me that the unitary uh, structure is not is not meant for the Philippines uh, not especially for the context of, uh, of Cebu vis-a-vis that of Metro Manila so yeah it, that was a major eye-opener and then And then I went back to 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 Manila for college and uh, worked there for several years. Then I moved to Singapore in 2000, and I've I've been working in IT. So I I took up computer science and I I did IT and uh, and I work for I've worked for IT companies the whole time and uh, currently I work in an IT company again. Also, this time it's in uh, what you would call healthcare IT. So it's usually the health you know selling health selling it systems for hospitals and uh, medical medical related uh, you know, uses so yeah that that's what i do it's it's a very systems oriented kind of thing and that's systems orientation also made it easier for me to understand how different systems cause differences in results to uh, to emerge some some systems are better than others some some systems Act faster in certain things than others or have a faster algorithm or, you know that kind of thing it became clear to me because of that, that some systems are better and when I did my own analysis of political systems I, I saw it very clearly because of that background so yeah I, I'd say my having my, my being in Singapore also helped because uh, not only because of my IT job but also because of my exposure to the parliamentary system that they have here And the fact that they're a very diverse country where they they basically have several different official languages rather than having this narrative that there is only one identity. So, yeah, it's it's something that has really helped me in becoming a reform advocate.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you grew up in Manila. Uh, You were were born in Manila and then grew up in Cebu. is that where you spent your elementary in high school in Cebu?
1: No, I so I I was in Metro Manila until grade five, uh-huh. and uh, so that's so I was born in Metro Manila and then stayed in Metro Manila until grade five, and then it was grade six until high school that I was in Cebu. Uh-huh. So um, so it's like half and half basically.
0: Actually, I, I'm not sure if uh, if I I think I've told this to you uh, many many years back, but oh, that's your, uh, in my case, are... yeah. I, I, yeah, I was born and raised in Manila. Uh, my parents are from Mindanao, Davao del Sur, and then in college, uh, I passed because uh, I passed the UPCAT, and I was uh i got accepted to up but it was in up cebu so for two years i studied in up cebu so, oh, I, so I stayed okay. there for a couple of years and actually uh i think i told. i'm not sure if i told you this also but one of my batchmates in the mass communication uh courses i think it's your relative omar Dum-dum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. He's okay. my relative. Yeah, yeah. And I do believe uh, you're also part of that family. With uh, you're re- related to the the
1: writer, writer Simeon writer yes. Dum Dum. Yes, he is. Yes. He is. He's also my uncle. Yeah, yeah. We're all related. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, going t- uh, well, going to that Cebu, uh narrative there. Um, were you familiar with? Uh, Lito Osman, yeah, and his uh, uh, campaign for provincial muna, you know, federalism. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, definitely. yes, definitely.
1: Yes, yeah. definitely. I mean that he, you know he's the guy I voted for back in nineteen ninety eight uh, for the president. I voted for him because from the. I mean, obviously, when you're from Cebu, you're ex- exposed to to what it is that he stands for. And he was very clearly standing for federalism back then already. And, uh, yeah, I voted for him for that.
0: Well, uh, uh, although I was not yet old to vote at that time, uh, we did, our family supported him. My mom voted for him uh, in the 98 elections. Uh, Would you say that federalism was the first, uh, one of the first... uh, uh, reforms? Reform oh yeah, that yeah, You you got the yeah. Did you espoused so to speak?
1: Yes, yes. That was the very first one that I espoused. I would say that was the first one. So, it was the most it was the most obvious one to me, um, coming from a very from a cultural linguistic perspective. So, and an identity perspective. So it, you know, that that idea that we're not you know we're not fit to be a, a one-size-fits-all society it was very clear to my mind back in high school so high school palang, i already saw that and and i was already espousing i was already wondering why why aren't we like the u.s like why is it like you don't have our own like we're not organized like states and all that stuff you know uh why why is it like everything is all based in metro manila and we're not able to have the same situation in the u.s where they have different uh, uh, what do you call this? Economic centers scattered all around the country. It's like, like we only have Metro Manila, but unlike in uh, in the states, they have, they have New York, they have San Francisco, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. they have Seattle, they have Chicago, they have Houston, Dallas. But all these different cities all scattered around. So, like, why don't we have that? I was wondering. So, and then I, of course, I saw they have federalism and we don't.
0: On your end. Uh, you got the federalism part. So, how did it come about that you eventually supported those two key reforms, and why those three, or, or at oh. least why those two? Okay. Since we have the federalism part taken yeah, care nah. of now.
1: So the the fed- so the federalism one was the first, and then the second one was economic uh, liberalization, or you know, being open to foreign investors. So part of that, I think, was my dad's was part of my dad's influence, basically, because my dad before. He was a he was a GM of a um, food processing la- la- laboratory company called uh, Griffith Laboratories in uh, in Metro Manila, and then uh-huh. during that time he was also concurrently like a regional ma- regional sales manager at the same time. So he was handling he was handling the company in the Philippines, and at the same time also traveling a bit in the rest of Southeast Asia. Because back then, actually, we were one of the more Kind of like we were we were like the satellite of any u.s company so most most so it's essentially a u.s company um and therefore the main center back then for a lot of american companies or operations would be in actually in manila so Mm um you know things like ibm it would be it would have been in manila so they would be traveling to other parts of asia with Manila as kind of like the main center, actually. And the Philippines was the same for Griffith Laboratory. So he, my dad would kind of like go to other parts of Asia, and he would, he would, he'd visit Malaysia and Singapore. And uh, he became very acquainted with how they became a fast-growing economy. And he was talking all about how they were very open to foreign investors, you know, that Lee Kuan Yew was so was very much into bringing in investors so that they could create jobs for people and um, that, that narrative was so rare I would hear that only from my dad and back then what was so common was the leftist narrative that we need to the nationalist leftist narrative that we need to protect our industries blah 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 we should keep out foreign investors back in Back when I was in Ateneo, there, there were these people who'd say, oh, I'm never going to work for a multinational company because they suck the country dry, blah, blah, blah. There were people saying that. And then I was wondering, do you guys even know that like Singapore actually became a first world country because they were open to foreign direct investors? And then, you know, at that point, it was that, it was that um, openness to investors that also re- made me realize that this is what you need to join together with federalism so that, uh, so that all the other regions also develop, not just Metro Manila. So, you know, that naturally, The I guess the, the main progression was from federalism, I also needed to add that extra aspect to become the way of, you know, how to build the regional economies uh, under federalism. And you're going to need, obviously, foreign investors. Later on, um, I, I basically started off, you know, being... Based on the American model so I was thinking of federalism and then still a presidential system but then I said we need to have a an electoral college that's what I was thinking back then it was more American influence at that point and mm-hmm. I it's it at that point in time because I didn't really fully understand how a parliamentary system worked so what was easier for me to understand was let's have an electoral college right and um from that i i realized and also my dad also told me about it actually you know my dad actually influenced me a lot as well he was the one who told me also that the u.s doesn't have a direct uh, direct system voting directly It's, it's essentially based on the electoral college and that made me realize that okay this is actually very much like a parliamentary system but yet i don't fully understand how a parliamentary system works so let's just stick first with the Electoral College. That was my general idea back then. And then when when Fidel Ramos started talking about the you know the initial calls for constitutional reform that we should shift over to a parliamentary system, I started to become more open to it. And and then obviously, of course, it wasn't that it was not that easy to to convince other people about it yet. So I said, you know, look. I, I at least gave that option that okay, if it's not parliamentary, then at least have uh, an ex- uh, uh, an electoral college. And the other way, way I said, oh look, if we still don't want that, then at least let's have a runoff election, so that we don't have presidents who are minority candidates or man- minority presidents. So, you know, I, I had these ideas back then about how the system just wasn't right, and that there should be options to change them. And um, it was actually my being in Singapore that really convinced me about the Parliamentary. system. That's what really made it clear to me that, oh, this is even way better than just having an electoral college. So, yeah, that it was it was an evolution uh, based on my own experiences.
0: Why did you decide to stick on those three key reforms? I guess. OK,
1: so, yeah, I think what what cemented that was it was actually in 2005 that i really got it it really got cemented in 2005, yeah 2005 when those three reforms really got cemented in my mind that these needed to be the main reforms for the constitution and that coincided with the time that uh, gma was uh, setting up those reforms as well so it became you know it's like it became clear to me already before that we already needed those three reforms and then I saw that these three reforms were being pushed and and then of course I was seeing all these these brick brats from uh, from from people who were against reforms they say term extensions and all that and I I remember the first time I actually wrote about it was when we still had friendster there was like a friendster blog uh, friendster blog feature and I, I wrote something about it there Saying that these are the reforms that we need and I had already at that point in time used the, the order that we have right now which is that uh, number one the, the easiest thing to do and the, the, the most urgent one to do is allow foreign investors to come in remove the 6040 remove all these anti foreign direct investment restrictions and then number two because we can't have them all in Metro Manila we want to spread them out and we want of course to uh, respect and um, maintain the languages and the ad- identities of the different people in the country let's have federalism and lastly third is we don't want we don't want to have bad leaders in, in the you know at the federal central central government level or in the regions so we need to have good governance and the best way to do that is through a parliamentary system so that's how the the, the sequence evolved That it's remove 6040 first next is federalism and then lastly was parliamentary i also made it that way because back then uh parliamentary was kind of like the hardest to sell so i put it at the end because at that point in time many people didn't understand it just like me i it was hard for me to understand originally so i put it at the end because the first one was let's let's create jobs that solve the unemployment problem number two was right next to it is federalism because it's really very very popular you know honestly of all the reforms the most popular really by far is federalism and no mm-hmm. matter what 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 people try to do to make to, to bring it down and say bad things about it make all kinds of fake news federalism still is by far the most um, the most popular of all the reforms and the truth is uh even 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 Pulse Asia knows this. Even Pulse Asia knew that. That's why they skewed they 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 cheated in making a, a, ba, a, a lousy a lousy survey where they, they maliciously split the vote for the S for the yes. The in favor vote was split into two because they knew they knew very well that if they did not do that, they were going to have like sixty percent of the respondents saying yes. So they wanted to they they really and, and, and it's obvious to see why, not only that, that federalism is <coughs> always being talked about by people from outside Metro Manila and increasingly inside Metro Manila, but also because Duterte at that point in time already had a very, very, very high approval rating. So they saw that, they knew he had a high re- uh, approval rating and therefore they knew that if they were going to ask the question, are you for federalism or not, if you say yes or no, they could they could predict that it was going to be a yes because so many people gave him like a 90% you know he basically got like an 80 plus to 90 plus percent approval rating they knew that that was going to translate to a huge yes also for, for federalism so in order to cheat they clearly did this subterfuge by by, by splitting in half the, the the yes vote or rather the in favor choice so that they said uh, oh are you in favor or not and then you'll say in favor now in favor later or not now but and then no and then i don't know and that split the vote that split the whole thing so it became like pretty much 30 30 30 10 and they creatively joined together the in favor later or the what you would call yes later vote with the no vote so that that became 60 and then all these stupid newspapers and stupid idiots from, from, uh, from mass media, kept on reporting without looking at the real facts. No one, not a single person, from mass media, ever cared to look at the details. That actually, if you combine the yes now and the yes later, or the in favor now and the in favor later, that's like sixty percent, or at least fifty-five percent, and therefore they're a majority. But they just looked at what, what the survey said and they didn't read read the, the details. But everybody knows federalism is actually the most popular of all the reforms. More popular than, than removing sixty forty, more popular than the parliamentary system. That's that's why that's why um, when Duterte was running he was always saying federalism because he just wanted to use like a chicken joy meal instead of saying I want a chicken joy with rice and coke. He just said "chicken joy meal," something like that, you know. Federalism, which already includes the other reforms, he just wanted to lump them together using that. Anyway, that that's that's what I saw. <laughs> it's federalism, really, is indeed the uh, the most popular reform.
0: Yeah, that was a really weird survey that they did. <laughs> like, uh, like yes now, yes now, yes later so... <laughs> It's still a yes, but, but why did they have to segregate that to skew their, you know, their biases and all that? That was, that was weird and stupid. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, But uh, I wanted to, let's touch back a bit with your, with regards to how you got enamored, so to speak, with the parliamentary system. And that, and you mentioned, it was your when you went to Singapore but of course uh, you did touch it earlier that Singapore has a flawed uh, make it say flawed or some imperfect uh, parliamentary system we're in let's face it the ruling party PAP has a too much of a majority it has a supermajority majority, yeah, super majority, yeah uh, such yeah. that for a long time the opposition was little to non-existent so to speak uh it's only now in the recent election that the opposition starting to gain a bit more traction so what do you how do you counter those you know criticisms about singapore's parliamentary parliamentary system and with the singapore
1: i would say it's it's a natural tendency to happen when uh, when you when you come from a how do you say this a they used to be third world right so mm-hmm. at that point in time they did not have a huge number of uh, very competent people everywhere so what the what the the PAP was able to do was they were able to because of the really good extremely competent leadership of the Kuan Yew back then they created a what they call a big tent party big tent meaning we're going to allow everyone from all these different political persuasions to join in as long as they have very similar view of wanting to make Singapore better so they got people from all around the political spectrum actually and so it became a it's essentially a centrist party that's that's how PAP really is started off as having leftist origins but it's it's actually become a centrist party in fact Sometimes considered center-right party, uh, but it's it's philosophically actually a very centrist party. And the reason why they do that is they, they get as many people who are really good from everywhere. And you know, some some someone like someone like the 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 Workers Party guy who won uh, recently, uh, James Lim, James, yeah, James Lim. That guy, mm-hmm. that that guy, they would have actually groomed, they would have actually scooped him out. become one of them it's it's something like that that's how they that's how they operated back then good people even if they were like tending towards the opposition you know they 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 scooped them out like they 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 basically recruited them and got them to become one of them they basically say would you would you rather be outside or inside i mean look i know you're against some of our policies that's fine but maybe you can do more good being part of us and that's how they got a lot of these people and and they were i mean you no know, they were very very successful and back then as a as a as a third world country it's like they didn't have that many sophisticated voters either the voters really just wanted anyone who can give give us the results and the PAP always brought about the results so essentially that that's what happened i think i think as as uh, singapore becomes much more sophisticated then you're going to have all, all these nuanced politics and all that you know, These differences in opinion that want to come out but before it was all focused on let's fix let's make let's make us a very, very rich country first let's do this 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 and uh-huh. they you know they were the only they were the only group that was able to really deliver there so that's why they had that, that. Um, but yeah moving forward i think they will they will start to have a bit more of an opposition in fact they may there might be a move later on to shift over to a different electoral system where they may have maybe at least like one, you know, additional one fourth number of seats, maybe, I don't know, created to, um, to be based on proportional representation, which will allow a more, you know, more diverse group of people to come up and, and emerge. Who knows? They might do that later on. And, um, but yeah, yeah, luckily, you know, I th- I think it's like this. Uh, in Singapore, although did for many years did not have a clear parliamentary opposition back then or a strong opposition back then, what they had as their opposition was other countries. So, to them, it's like okay, we may not have an opposition within our par- parliament, but we are always constantly benchmarking ourselves against the other countries in the region and we want to make sure that Singapore becomes the best in this region and we benchmark ourselves against all these other countries in the first world. So that I mean that was pretty much what they were doing. So um so even if even if they did not have a parliamentary opposition, the fact that they were always benchmarking themselves internationally meant that they would end up having good results. I think that's how
0: yeah. Well, uh moving forward, it would be at the very least the politics of Singapore would be more interesting to watch now and yes, in the coming yes. months and years. So Yes, definitely. I'll be, yeah. I for one will be looking forward to see what happens next there.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially now that um they have the so the Sengkang GRC team has a lot of uh very how do you call this? Articulate English speakers. So Jamus, for example, and then uh, Raisha, I think, is her name. She's also, I mean, like they, they both speak with uh, how do you say this? Foreign, foreign influenced accent. So you know, like, uh, one of them speaks with a very American accent, and Jamus is also quite, somewhat, not not exactly, but somewhat Americanized a bit, mm-hmm. uh, having after having lived abroad for so many years. You know, so. You know, they they now have that because back then, they're, the leader before uh, Lao chia Kiang, he wasn't that much of an English speaker. He was more, he was actually more competent as a Chinese speaker. Uh, very, in fact, very very competent as a like a Mandarin and Teochew Hokkien dialect speaker uh, and debater. So he would be, be very good at debates in Chinese, but in English, he he wasn't that impressive, you know. Um, but now they have Preetam Singh and uh, they have um, Jameis and and this this group of people basically that they have right now they're they're they're, they're pretty good and pretty good at communicating uh, I think I think by now the, um, the parliamentary debates will be a bit more exciting <laughs> yeah. hopefully yeah.
0: hopefully yeah anyway uh, going back to your story <laughs> yeah yeah um, so how did you become involved? In become actively involved and in eventually founding the correct movement. How did that come about?
1: Uh, okay, so you know, back then I was um, uh, back starting in two thousand. I was already I was active in Pinoy Exchange, and I was already ah, uh-huh. so back then I was uh, I was really very I was active. I, in fact I was a, I was a moderator in one of the forums there. The, the what do you call that? The current affairs and politics uh thing um I, I started off actually in the tech tech forum but there was a conflict of inter- interest because at that time i was working in microsoft and i i didn't want to obviously it would get in it would get in conflict with my with my work that i was in i was in a tech company and uh, you know talking about microsoft versus linux and all that i wouldn't i didn't want to get into that so i said look let's just let me handle the the politics forum instead because at least that one has nothing to do with my being in Microsoft so I mean people won't be able to say that I'm biased or what so so that's what I did I I handled that and uh, and I was really very vocal about federalism already and I was already talking all about the fact that the Philippines is not a country that should have only one native language but it should basically uh, respect all of the Regional languages and and native languages of the the different ethnic groups of the Philippines. So that was that was my main. That was what I was talking about a lot, and then also the the economic openness to foreign investors as well. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
0: So, would you say your experience in Manila Exchange was your yeah first foray in you know becoming more politically being politically active in a sense? Yeah
1: yes i would say yes that that was how it started yeah in fact i became involved with uh uh i joined forces with several other people that i met there Mm -hmm. benigno from get real philippines was one of them and i was actually for 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 quite a long time 10 years uh one of his key lieutenants or like i was a big supporter of his i was very loyal to him as well um, uh, yeah,
0: before that, uh, kind of psycho, <laughs> so, yeah, you because know, Pinoyx change brings back memories. So I was uh, yeah. frequent visitor. I think I saw your name in what, but I can't. My memory's a bit fuzzy now. But yeah, like the early two thousands, that was the go to place for you know discussions on. Uh, before the era of Facebook and social yes. media, yes, but that was. Yeah. And on my although on my case what I used to visit more, was the UAP forums with the Ateneo La Wars and for the court side. That's Tex was known at that time for those types of, uh, I Yes, remember. that's what it was yeah. originally all about,
1: yeah, yeah, UAAP.
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway, go on. Uh, so you're yeah, with Benny, no, of so I was with Get Real yeah.
1: Philippines. So we were like essentially there was this point where we were all talking about what was wrong with the Philippines, and I felt it was very important to talk about the flaws of the Philippines because if you want to fix the Philippines people need to first understand that it's flawed <laughs> to begin with. Because before before people will want to fix something they have to know that it's broken, right? So I was really talking all about that and and several of us were really talking about what was wrong with the Philippines. Why, you know, stop this Pinoy Pride thing, there's nothing to be proud of. Uh let's fix the Philippines first before we can even talk about that. So we were talking all, all about that stuff you know let's fix ourselves first uh let's 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 fix the situation so that people don't have to eat garbage or people don't have to blah 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 all that stuff you know and uh and obviously i was already beginning to talk about the reforms then as well and um and in it was in 2009 that to get our our group basically the get the philippines group set up a an e-magazine that would come up very regularly with with articles, it was called anti-Pinoy.com and, uh, and I was originally writing with a, using a pseudonym and I was already talking about why um, why the system in the Philippines sucks and it actually even before that before we even had that e-zine, e-magazine we were already trolling a lot of different pages like and I would really talk all about the three-point agenda back then already using a pseudonym in fact I was I was trolling I know but uh, Manolo Kezon a lot back then <laughs> telling him about why we need to change this system why and then like really I would trounce it was my how do you say this my my training ground for becoming like able to, to debate with so many different people about why these reforms are necessary because I got we'll trained back, there because yeah. there was, of course so many of these smart Alex trying to come up with reasons why we shouldn't change and I always had to come up with something better, facts basically. And oh uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead.
0: Um, if you don't mind me asking, would you remember your the you know the alias that you used, or is it? Oh
1: okay, <laughs> yeah. So there was a there was a pseudonym that I used. I mean, I used different pseudonyms. So especially back when, you know, in some some of these pages, you don't really you don't register with a real name with a constant yeah. you just leave something there. Mm-hmm. Uh so I would say like one is like why why Pinois failed? Something like that. Or why the why the Pinas is a fa- is a failed society. You know some names like that, weird names. And sometimes I'd even use Jose Rizal too. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Rizal too. Which also That's was, was used. <laughs> yeah. Jose Rizal the second. And then people would say, "Who are you? Why are you saying that?" And, oh, I'm based outside of the Philippines, and uh, and uh, I speak many languages, and, <laughs> and I was saying that, I was saying that, just like him. I also wanted the Philippines to improve, basically, and so I'm basically his reincarnation. <laughs> That's what I was saying Joking I was just mocking all these people, basically acting like a troll. Um, yeah, so that, that was that was how it worked. I I would act like a troll, um, not insulting them, but just basically saying. We need these reforms, and then of course they would they would answer, and then I would sort of answer back, and then show them that Look, you guys don't know what you're talking about. So you know, <laughs> and the way the way Jose Rizal too would answer usually was in a very kind of smart alecky way, uh, mm-hmm. say, "parang like," besides it's it's really like it's really just to show them that like you, you guys don't know what you're talking about. They say, "Who are you? doing? not no Well, I'm someone just like him. Basically, I know a lot of different things. I speak different languages like him. I'm based outside of the country like him. I've learned a lot outside of the country, and I want the Philippines to become uh, at par with the best countries in the world, just like Jose Rizal. That's basically what he was gunning for, and that's the same thing I'm gunning for. That's why I have the right to call myself that. (laughs) You know, they they would get angry like hell. (laughs) Anyway, so that that, I would I would do that before, and. That was where my practice came from, and then later on, I started writing these articles. And it was in 2010 that I started writing articles in uh, pinoy in uh, Anti-Pinoy, using my real name. And uh, um, and these these articles went viral about why the parliamentary system is necessary, why we need these other reforms, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, 2010, towards the end. Of 2010. That's when we, I started the correct movement as initially as a initiative within Get Real Philippines, and um, and I, I was trying to get other people to join it as well. I had uh, Mrs. Carmen Pedrosa, and I had s- several other people, and I had to open. I had to sort of. Uh, branded as something that was open to a lot of other people outside, even if they were not part of the Get the Philippines team. Uh, and then anyway, there was a point in time where, quite unfortunately, the person I considered to be a friend, um, I guess he got jealous of the attention I was I was getting because my articles actually had more hits than his did. And so one day he just suddenly attacked my articles. And um, I mean yeah and that, that 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 forced me to sort of have to, to uh, spin it off spin off um, uh, the correct movement as a separate entity outside of uh, get the Philippines uh, it was a sad chapter I mean why 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 all why did he have to do that that um, how do you say this friendly fire incident it's it like why 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 would you attack your own colleague I mean what I was saying wasn't going against what you were saying and then, you know, but anyway, it's, it's just, you know, I grab mentality, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I would assume that until now you have not resolved your differences. No, that's not resolved.
1: That's not resolved. I've always tried to, uh, I've, you know, for many years tried to actually uh, reach out, but um, I don't know. It's I wasn't getting any any response at all from the other guy, so. And then, until and then, recently, he was also seen reviving some of these old articles that he said against cons- constitutional reform, which I think is just like totally off. Because I mean, I'm I'm pushing for these reforms, these reforms that are aspects of the country that he lives in. He lives in Australia, and Australia has all those three aspects: you know, openness to foreign mm-hmm. investors federal and parliamentary they all exist in australia <coughs> and why is he going against them uh, he i realized actually that his motivation was not that he really wants to fi- see the philippines improve but rather that he actually internally wants to justify that he wants to justify to himself that his move to australia was the right move by saying to himself it was right for me to move from the Philippines to Australia because the Philippines is a hopeless country there's no way that we can fix it that's kind of what he was trying to say in my case I don't say that I say Philippines can be fixed we just need the right systems in place that's that's the main difference
0: well you mentioned about the, having the right systems uh, r- in having the right system for the Philippines to get out of its current sad state, and of course there are those who would, you know, oppose that view, saying that uh, the people need to change. Uh, what? Does, what's good the system if the same, you know, shady people are in power, the same, uh, you know, the same rotten atti- attitude. Of people are not um, are still present even if the system is changed so I know you've touched on this in your very extensive article but very briefly how do you respond to those uh, to such criticism
1: oh well quite obviously it's, it's it's pretty simple that people people's culture people's attitudes are the result of um, the system that they're in they're, it's, it's a result of the uh of the environment that they're in. So essentially you take the the Pinoy out of the Philippines and you know you have Pinoys born elsewhere, they start acting more like the people in in that society that they were born in. Maybe maybe the maybe the Pinoy who was born in the Philippines will have a tendency to revert to being Pinoy because he's still used to it, especially if the Pinoy The Pinoys, let's say, who move to the states, they stick around with other Pinoys all the time. Obviously, they will still somehow be very Pinoy. But the the ones who were born there, they they're born into a totally different culture and different context, so that even if they're Pinoy, they stop being Pinoy. (laughs) They start acting more like Americans or or where you know the host society. So it's really about making sure you change the the environment if you can change that environment so that the incentives and disincentives are different people will be forced to change and therefore culture changes when you change the system that that's that that's a very uh basic management concept actually that, That a lot of people from the management like change management and uh you know how to improve your company industry actually talk about a lot mm mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's a that's a very sound point there you know like I said there is already living uh, a living proof so to speak of that with our OFWs or, our, or the Filipinos now based abroad yeah
1: yeah in- indeed indeed
0: yeah uh, anyway um, so going back to the correct movement uh, uh how uh first of all i was uh, you know touched us a bit earlier uh how did you manage to initially get people like carmen petrosa
1: well she had actually read my articles in um from uh from from anti she was able to read all those articles those those, those articles really got how do you say this they got viraled around and so she started uh she featured them in her in her column in the uh, Phil star so mm-hmm. so it got it you know I, I I got some I got some publicity from that and uh, and I think that that probably might also explain why why Benigno kind of got got jealous of that attention that I was getting so I mean she 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 several times wrote articles that mentioned my name mentioned my articles said that those are really good articles blah 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 and, uh and 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 she and I and I contacted her and we I mean we got in contact with each other and that's how we started the whole movement together you know the uh, correct correct movement actually was was because of that um, we wanted to we needed to form a group that would uh, that would spearhead the how do you say the sharing of information and and forming a group of like cadres or something you know a group of people who would would spread the word about why, why we need these reforms
0: um currently by your estimate how many uh, members are there in the correct movement
1: um i really cannot tell <laughs> because <laughs> i mean there's at least a hundred people who are active that's that's for sure Mm-mm. there's at least a hundred people who are active now there's like we now have something like fifty thousand followers in, in terms of our page. Yeah. Uh, so there's, I think there's a lot of people who are now aware of what the message is. I, I would say in, in one of our groups, the the general assembly, there's like six thousand people or something. Mm-hmm. So, but in terms of in terms of active people, I think there's like a, a at least a hundred to three hundred people who are really active. Mm-hmm. Like, in, and I say active. It, it includes let's say around 50 people who are very active in planning stuff and then a total of like around 300 people who are really actively sharing stuff all the time mm-hmm. whereas and then there's this bigger group of people who sort of like share as and when something interesting comes up so yeah there's 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 that kind of thing Mm-hmm. And it's a simple. It's very simple. We're we're not even talking about an organization per se. There's no card <clears throat> carrying. It's just it's just a movement. It's just really a an intellectual movement. You, there's there's no real membership per se. What mm-hmm. we can all, what we can say basically is anyone who considers himself a cor- a corrector is a corrector. That's how it is.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess uh, some would be wondering why did you not you know think of converting so to speak correct in, as a, into a full-fledged organization you know, registered with the uh, certain bodies and all that
1: yeah i didn't uh, yeah. i didn't see the importance of that because i felt that you know it, it it just bogs things down when you when you formalize an organization because you're you know i basically just wanted to make it easier and more sustainable for us as a group whereby we know that everybody um, Everybody who's really doing something is also active with something else like you've got a day job. I've got a day job A lot of every you know almost everybody in the group has a day job and I want everybody to be able to continue on with their day jobs too I don't we're we're not expecting people to go full-time with this We want people to just do this as a hobby. So the best way to do that is not to force people to through through a formalization of the structure because if you formalize it too much, and it's it's kind of like, sort of like saying that you're gonna have to give up your day job sometimes, especially when it becomes a bigger thing. Right now, we we find it's easier to get people to uh, to join in more easily if we keep it like this, because um, sometimes people become more more you know get busier because of work, mm-hmm. so they won't be able to commit all the time. I myself also have this I can't always be uh, on the ball with correct because I also have my day job and that's more important really. um, so I want yeah I, I, I basically believe that the way this works is I want people to have this just as a sideline the more people who have this as a sideline the better than having people who who need to give up their their main job or whatever it is they're, they're really doing just to do this it's not going to be sustainable we're gonna have fewer people that way it's it's, yeah. it's easier if we have a hundred thousand people doing this on the side like just probably doing one percent of this kind of work just sharing stuff talking to friends about it maintaining maintaining what they're doing but just doing like 1% of this but such that more hands means a lighter load Uh So that's that's how I uh, that's how I see it if we if we try to formalize it it's I don't know it's it it may actually turn off more people uh, when when you when you need to Uh actually yeah make 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 things more structured and stuff like that
0: well on a a personal level I can understand that because I myself am part of a non-profit organization I'm actually a co-founder and the, one of the original trustees and I know very well how hard it is to you know set up and maintain the organization from registering to the SEC to the annual filings in the uh, BIR City Hall and all that so yeah I, and so yeah I know how tedious and tiresome that is especially for a nonprofit that's a working board that who has their day jobs and only supposed to do it on the side but you know the uh, administrative work takes a lot of time that I can say. Yeah yeah
1: yeah indeed, indeed. Yeah. so I, yeah. I wanted to really avoid that so I just said we'll just, we're just going to basically be an informal movement of, of people it's an intellectual movement there's no sign-up sheet no um how do you say there's no car you know becoming card carrying members and all that stuff but we can all we can create our own cards and say that we're all um how do you say that is we're all advocates but yeah i mean maybe there's like a, essentially there is like a core group of us who are who are more active and we can create cards for, for ourselves but there's no need for us to really like register with what, the SEC and all that stuff we don't we don't need to do that.
0: There would of course there would be those who would counter that. Being in a full fledged organization or a political party helps achieve the goals much easier since you're in the system and you're able to, you know, navigate it easier. Yeah, as some yeah. may perceive it. So
1: Yeah, they they'd say that, but then, you know, at this point we don't have we don't have funding, we don't really really we don't have the infrastructure we're really just an intellectual pursuit this is we're trying to just influence people intellectually and maybe even emotionally to understand why these these reforms are necessary and obviously you don't you don't really need to be formalized to do that it's just really talking about it's it's really all about sharing ideas that's what it is that's more important than than having formal organization Then secondly, as let's say for example, talking about a political party or becoming a party list, uh, party list group. There's like, if you do that, you've already started to make yourself a competitor of other parties. What we want to do as a as like an intellectual movement, this is really what it is, uh, is we want to be we want to be able to influence all of the parties to to go for these reforms. We don't want to say. Oh, we are the party that does this. No, we are, we are influencers aiming to influence all parties, so that all parties, be they PDP-Laban or whatever other party or Nacionalista or Liberal Party, we want all of them to go for this. We want this to be a uh, multi-partisan or bipartisan. I don't know how they to say it, but like a, no, a non-partisan or bipartisan or multi-partisan movement. You're not part. This is not a one-sided, one-party type of thinking. This is for all parties, for everyone, to advocate. Everyone should advocate these reforms. That's uh, that's the way I I want to present it. And if we join politics as a party, we we remove that chance to be able to influence other parties, because we are now seen as competition to them. Uh-huh. So yeah, that that's that's why we don't want to do that we just want to basically influence as as many different parties as possible
0: well speaking of influencing other parties well on the end of the correct movement uh, has it gained some traction in influencing those parties or or at least some key people in any of those parties
1: yes and we have in fact that's that's what happened with, uh, with Tertius group. So you know, one of the things I learned, for example, from my friends from Davao. So wh- one of the things that happened when so when I first came to Ateneo, I um, my second year, I, I stayed in a boarding house filled with um, davaoenos So it was mm-hmm. a boarding house owned by a and all the other people there were davaoenos We were speaking Cebuano the time, and um, so I became close to them. They were yeah. they were all from Davao, and um, basically I became close to them and of course they, this group reported to me in 2015 because some of them had become part of the campaign for uh, and they, they reported to me that he, you know, his campaign team was regularly checking the correct website, using it as a reference for their research on how to present the reforms and not long after that that I was told that they didn't they did in fact include the three-point agenda to become part of the campaign promise of, of Duterte when he actually did formally say that he was running so I mean the fact that you know that mayor Duterte at that point in time adopted parts of what we were talking about that that shows that, that shows that and we were we were trying our our best to basically get other parties to do the same in fact we even were able to get um, uh carlos Sedran back when he was still alive to be one of our like key key advocates basically he was really talking all about constitutional reform every chance he could so you know that we were successful in that respect we were able to i would say we were able to get a lot of people to uh, to recognize that these were necessary and most especially the group of, uh, of Duterte, as well as his, as well as the, the PDP-Laban party, as well. And that's why I, I got uh, invited to join in the um, the, PLP, the, P, the PDP-Laban Federalism Study Group, and uh, they got me to contribute an article to their uh, to their book. So, yeah, that thing happened. In fact, we even got the you no know, Tom Rodriguez is from GMA Seven to become one of our fans. One of our- like back in 2016 he was always talking all about the correct movement and talking all about going to the website to the correct correct website and uh, yeah you know and we need more people like that we need more people like him Mm -hmm. like Carlos Sildran and so many others
0: hopefully with uh, maybe more ABS-CBN stars in light of uh, uh, yeah actually we should
1: indeed indeed we need in fact this is the thing so now ABS-CBN should become part of the group that actually calls for these reforms they got hit or it like one of the things that backfired against them was the 6040 and all these other these other anti-foreign direct investment restrictions I mean that that hit them hard because the constitution prohibits media companies from being owned by foreigners and I mean it it can be said that Gabby Lopez is a is an American citizen okay yeah fine he's also a Filipino citizen too but but still he has that extra uh, citizenship which you know that that's a bit of a problem and then they also had that certain percentage of their uh, of their shares being owned by foreigners based on the the use of PDRs. and still if you're if you're going to be really strict about it PDRs are still not allowed are not supposed to be allowed so you know, I, I, I ran this also with my friend, uh, Tony Abad. I asked him, "What, what's your take on this whole PDR thing? And he said, if we are to be really totally strict about it, that's not allowed. PDRs should not be allowed uh, for those industries that have constitutional bans on them, or, or even legal bans on them. They're not, they're supposed to be off limits. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the fact of it. So... Yeah, they got hit by that. So the, I, I believe they should actually become part of a group that pushes for these reforms now. I hope they do. I hope they really learn their lesson that they, they need to actually help out with the reforms because it's these reforms they need if they want to be able to uh, uh, to operate it again.
0: Yeah, if ever at least some of them would you know, join the call for reform, that would be a big boost. Yeah, you know. yeah it, uh, anyway, going back to uh, your uh, involvement with the uh, PDP Laban Federalism Institute, uh, you were part uh, you're one of the authors so you're a chapter author in one in the that uh in their the book they published, the, fed, uh, the title, uh the title, the Federalism
1: Quest uh, for a Federal West for federalism. yeah
0: Quest uh, for a Federal Republic. Federal, okay. So uh, were you involved in the discussions in the the draft they prepared?
1: I was involved with, uh, basically I was talking a lot to uh, Dr. Um, Ed Araral and that's, mm-hmm. it. it was through him that I actually got my, uh, my views uh, across there. So it's really, if you th- think about it, the PDP Laban draft is very much based also, partly on the 2005 draft of GMA, it was, was partly—it's—it's it's actually like a modified version of it. Really. That's what it is. So,
0: I think some of the key people in the 2005 draft were also involved, like Casiple. Uh, I think Casiple and bolivar yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Here's what uh, boggles the mind <laughs> that, uh, right at the moment for me. So. PDP Label already has a draft uh, prepared. Why did you say, uh, why did Duterte decided to go with another draft with the CONCON or the CONCOM of uh, former Chief Justice Renato Puno, uh, who decided to do their own draft? So, why did you yeah, think he did, not adapt? Why did so, he not adapt po- like the draft to his own party? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so essentially it's like this um, He was always talking about setting up a concom and I think he wasn't sure yet who are the members supposed to be but he was always talking about that and then PDP laban decided to, to preempt that by coming up with a draft that would serve as a guide that this concom would use and in fact that was what happened originally when the when the concom was brought it was uh, convened so you already had two people who were involved with the CONCOM draft, uh, with the PDP Laban draft in it. So we had um, Edmund Tayao and uh, Dr. Uh, July Tihanki. Both of them mm-hmm. were part of the, the Federalism study group that did the PDP Laban draft. And um, they also became part of the CONCOM. And they were basically carrying it with them to bring to use that as the basis of what was going to be the draft. But then. There were just way too many oldies in the group, who didn't understand what a parliamentary system was, who just who fouled it up basically. So I think that was where it all crumbled essentially. Uh, the cho- the choosing of too many lawyers and not that many technocrats, not choosing like I, I, I believe that was the failure of President Duterte that, that he should have actually brought in a lot of the same people. From the 2005 group because that group was a very 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 good group don't reinvent the wheel I mean what what for we already had a really good draft back then anyway so just you know have the same people there and then probably just add a few more but yeah that's why what was that all about
0: would you I would you uh, you have any knowledge as to how the members of the concom were chosen I have was no real though?
1: idea I can only speculate that um, I can only speculate that there was an attempt to try to appease different uh, factions and uh, so essentially you know there, there was an attempt to try to get people from different regions so there were people from different regions and then different factions but then the bias of uh, I guess the bias of duterte was was to get lawyers or people from the legal profession so there's it was filled with too many lawyers and um, and then he also tried to put in people from different sectors right so they would be from the military there'd be someone from the church this you know father rani rani aquino was put in there so from the church and then there was bangsamoro people in there uh yeah, there's people from all around. There's Cordillera people. There was Ilocanos. There was Subbanos, there was, you know that kind of thing. So there were people from all around, and it's just that it was just too few of them. Twenty, I think it was twenty people. They probably should have had a slightly bigger group with less of the oldies involved. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, if they were gonna be oldies, then we'll, then just get the 2005 from at least the key people there. Uh, Unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't. He didn't bring in uh, Doctor Ed Araral. He should have actually. I, I was hoping he was going to be part of it. fortunately that's not what happened. So, yeah, it was. It's just too bad. It. it, it I think he failed there in, in getting the wrong. When he got the wrong people, I mean, he didn't get that many of the right people in. I think that was the main. Thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, for the benefit of those who are not familiar, who is uh, Ed Araral?
1: Oh uh, yeah, Doc Ed Araral is um he's a associate professor here in Singapore, uh, uh, at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he's a he's a political scientist, and he's been here in Singapore for many years already. So he's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah. He, yeah he 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 does a lot of uh, Policy research, he does a lot of that kind of stuff. So, he also helped out with the PDP Laban draft. And I really believe he should have been part of the, uh, the CONCOM.
0: Yeah. So, officially, in the official, uh, so there's the CONCOM, there's the PDP Laban, there's the There's one uh, prepared by the House, whatever that is. So, not really familiar. There's also the uh, for the benefit of what is the centrist draft who prepared the
1: uh the centrist draft is from the centrist democratic party and essentially the centrist draft is just a an up slightly updated version of the 2005 gma draft gma content draft. so mm. yeah they um so you can basically say that it is a direct descendant of the 2005 draft that's what it is
0: so the centrist is more of the direct descendant, while the PDP Laban is uh, some uh, somewhat related.
1: It's somewhat related. It's it's a, it's a slightly modified version. So PDP Laban basically takes a lot from the original 2005 draft, but it adds an. It makes the president an elected, a nationally elected figure, rather rather than one where he's just appointed by by Parliament okay and then they also gave him a bit more powers more custodial powers so it becomes a bit like a like it becomes slightly semi-presidential although in reality it's actually not it's actually very parliamentary it's it's slightly semi-presidentialist I think the best way to explain it is it's kind of similar to the Singapore model where the president has a lot of custodial powers Mm-hmm. and then um, and then they added also a an elected senate in the regionally elected senate in the pdp Laban draft which the centrist draft does not have or the, the two, two, 2005 GMA CONCOM draft doesn't have
0: so the centrist it's is uh,
1: more for unicameral uni- it's unicameral yeah
0: mm. now with all these drafts well of course, the uh, there's the present situation, the uh, COVID nineteen uh, outbreak that's ongoing. So, but why is the uh, developments at least a with regards to reforming the constitution moving at the snail's pace?
1: I really don't know. That's what. I, that's the thing that really. Uh, really bothers me. Why is it not happening yet? I don't know if it's because they wanted to get the uh, ABS-CBN thing out of the way first, and uh, now it's going to be easier for them to push for it. I don't know. I have no idea, but what I do know is that the DILG is trying to push for a what scaled-down set of reforms, and I I mean, it's like this. I, only par- I partly agree with how they're doing what they're doing, although I would prefer that the diilg actually pushed for the full set of reforms and then said that in event in the event that we don't have time for all those full reforms then let's go for these these minimum set of reforms that's i believe that's how they should present it they should present let's go for the full this you know this is what we need we need the full suite of reforms blah 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 all these three points that we need but if you can't do it because you feel there's not enough time, then at least let's get these ones done as at the very bare minimum. So the, well, I think that's how they should have done it.
0: Hmm. Uh, in your view, what would be those, if not the full suite, what do you think are the most important? That so right be? now,
1: what, so the first one obviously is being able to get, get rid of all the anti-foreign direct investment restrictions. So that mm-hmm. needs to go. And then for the federalism side if they feel that it's going to be too complex and it is indeed complex then they're saying something about setting up the mandala bandana's ruling yeah. constitutionally uh, and, and increasing a bit the allotment for you know the IRA and all that stuff so it's piecemeal reform and then they then they, they can add in real federalism later that's what they're saying so let's mm-hmm. do that first and then Okay, maybe parliamentary is also probably a little hard to do at the moment if we don't have much time. So, let's at least first fix the uh, the way the presidential system works. So, let's make it president and vice president jointly voted. So that sort of thing. They're they're talking all about that. Um, these small little reforms that can be done. Um, I think that I mean that that's okay. As like if you can't get the whole thing through then like use that as the mini- bare minimum and then make sure that in the next the next term whoever becomes a new president then we get all the right reforms through.
0: Well there's the there's also the risk of you know uh, whoever will succeed that, that uh, would that next president be supportive of the reforms or not that's the
1: yeah that's course, a big, that that's be, a big risk yeah that's a big risk too. So that's why the best really is, let's make sure that we can get all the reforms set up. We, we need to set them up as, as soon as we can, instead of waiting.
0: Yeah, but worst case scenario, the reforms do not get pushed sure through this administration and the next administration is not even keen of The constitutional reforms what would be what do you think should be the way forward to push them how this you know in that in that hypothetical situation which knock on wood hope does not happen but if ever we get to that how do you think should the reform the greater constitutional reform advocacy proceed with that
1: well we just have so basically here's here's how the correct movement does what it does we just continue spreading the word about why we need these reforms because at some point we will reach uh, we will reach a point at which people will really understand it and when they really do they'll be pushing for it so we'll just have to keep on pushing for the reforms with no compromise Uh, we prefer to spread the word without sugarcoating it without scaling it down no we'll just continue pushing the full suite of reforms not not doing what others are doing which is oh, okay we we don't have enough time so let's just scale it down let's make it piecemeal um, you know let's we can't do a full f- federalism yet so let's just lessen it by doing this ours is an intellectual movement which is all about getting people to understand what they still don't understand at the moment so let's get them to understand the full story when they understand the full story they will want the full story in place that's that's the way i see it
0: yeah some encounter that's that may be too optimistic and of course it's it's not about (laughs) being
1: optimistic it's actually it's about it's just really about doing what we need to do because i mean Mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest problem that i've noticed in the philippines so many people are too quick to to compromise so much so that people don't fully understand the big picture because they're always just given a very, like, how do you say this, zoomed out view of what the the story is. They're given a very abridged, shortcut story without being told the real story. And because they don't don't understand the real story, they don't push for the real reforms that need to be pushed. So I think it's better that even if it's going to be slower, but we continue... To, to tell the story the way it should be told that way we can actually get more people uh, pushing the right thing. I, I, I think that's the way it is. Hmm.
0: Yeah, although uh, you know some encounter that it may take a long time and some people do not plan to live that long.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So we're, we're basically saying like this, we'll, we'll present the whole story but then on the other hand People will decide, Okay, if we can't do the full story now, let's at least have the full full agenda number one in place. So no compromises, we'll get rid of all of the anti-foreign direct investment restrictions now. Then next time, we'll get the full, full I don't know, parliamentary in and the next full federalism in. Or I don't know how they want to do it, but we need people to understand it first. I think that's the biggest thing. It's because people don't understand it that they don't they're not pushing for the right things. So I think that's the that's the most fundamental part. You need to you need to equip people with the intellectual ammunition that they need so that they understand and can really push for these reforms based on their full understanding of it. If people don't understand it fully, then they're not gonna push for it. They're only gonna push for very superficial you know, they, like they don't really understand what the reforms are. they just say, ah, basta na lang. but they don't know. They need to know. They need to know what they need. To, they need to know what the real reforms are. And that's what we're trying to do here. So, yes, we actually, in fact, do present short versions of it, but as much as possible, we don't compromise by um, by coming up with the wrong. You know how it is when people sometimes try to compromise by by coming up with something that is not even correct that's mm-hmm. that's 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 is wrong if it, it, it you can you can you can come up with a shortcut or with an abridged version that does not distort the story right though that, that's what I'm trying to say they should not do that and I think that's that's what happened with a with the concom for example when they said oh we don't understand what a parliamentary system is so we'll just go with a presidential That that was, that was really lousy.
0: Uh, we're almost at the end of this conversation, so I'm going to end this with two questions. So, question number one. is Is the current Philippine constitution the best in the world?
1: No! No! It's one of the worst! It's one of the worst in the world.
0: Okay, and the second question, what makes a good constitution?
1: Well, I, I'd say a good constitution usually tends to be a bit more general uh, not specific it's supposed to be something that's general so that it can it can be relevant for a long period of time because if it's too specific it may actually become irrelevant when certain things that are written down in stone um, suddenly become irrelevant so it should not have it should not contain a lot of specific stuff it should be as general as possible um so that it so that it can stay on uh for a long time i think that's 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 what makes a constitution good so yeah uh, don't don't be too specific about stuff be more flexible be more um more general and leave the specifics to uh to legislation Okay.
0: Well, on that note, Orion, thank you so much for taking your time and for being the first guest in the Constitution podcast. It's an honor that you have accepted my inv- uh, my invite for this. Thank no, you so won't
1: much. Worry. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Carl. All right. Thanks Orion
0: and have a good day there.
1: You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: Again, thank you to my friend, Orion Parasutu, for doing that interview with me, and I do apologize for whatever mishaps or mistakes you may have noticed throughout this episode, but I am keen on improving the aesthetics and production of this podcast, as well as improving on myself as a host. Anyway, I do thank you all for listening to this inaugural episode of The Constitution Podcast you like what you've heard or would like to let us know what you think you can reach us and follow us on our facebook page at the constitution project or follow us on twitter at constitutionph check out our website as well at www.constitutionproject.org until then this is carl aguilar of the constitution project saying patayong sa
1: pagbabago and see you next time